thing was cheap. But now prices almost put some lamb to sleep. When we pay our grocery bill, we just feel like making our will. Tell me, how can a poor man stand such times and live? I remember when dry goods were cheap as dirt. We could take two bits and buy a dandy shirt. Now we pay three bucks or more, maybe get a shirt that another man's wore. Tell me, how can a poor man stand such times and live? Welcome, my friends. Welcome to this 13th edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 24th day of August, 2007. August 3rd, 2007 dawned temperate and cloudless in the United States, and it looked like it was going to be a day like any other. And then a viral video went online. A clip from CNBC's Stop Trading segment with Jim Cramer, the host of Mad Money, went online on YouTube, and copies of it started popping up everywhere with posts and blogs. Jim Cramer is, of course, a Wall Street shill, whose program is largely intended to pull the wool over people's eyes, as he's admitted in the past, and as he even admits in this clip. And for more information about that aspect of Jim Cramer, You can watch uh, viral videos of him that have gone online from uh, thestreet.com, which actually had an interview with him where he admitted he engages in illegal practices, but it's okay because not even the government understands their own trading rules. But on this clip from CNBC on August 3rd, Jim Cramer's normally raving psychotic self was even a little bit more raving and psychotic. This buffoon who rants and rages and can't keep on script for even 10 seconds was unable to keep on script in this segment for even five seconds, indicating perhaps something was genuinely up in the markets. Let's take a listen to this clip, which was the harbinger of the mortgage meltdown of 2007. This, this bigger well, this is about Bernanke. This is about Bernanke. He has to be on that call. Forget the investors. The investors are going to do if Bernanke I'm listens. Sure Bernanke needs Bernanke's to open the discount window. That's how bad things are out there. Bernanke needs to focus on this. Alan Greenspan told everyone to take a teaser rate and then raise the rate 17 times. And Bernanke is being an academic. It is no time to be an academic. It is time to get on the Bear Stearns call. Listen. Open the darn Fed window. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea. Kramer. I have talked to the heads of almost every single one of these firms in the last 72 hours, and he has no idea what it's like out there. None. And Bill Poole has no idea what it's like out there. My people have been in this game for 25 years, and they are losing their jobs, and these firms are going to go out of business, and he's nuts. They're nuts. They know nothing. Kramer. I have not seen it like this since I went five bid for a half a million shares of Citigroup when I got hit in 1990. This is a different kind of market, and the Fed is asleep. Okay, but here's the thing. Bill Poole is a shame. He's shameful. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know he you're gotta go and read the accredited home document. At least I read the darn thing. Hold on, I know you're passionate, and I hear you. But 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 at the same time, a lot of people are saying this is yes. It, there's certain types of mortgages that aren't available. 
There are you there can't are all get sorts a darn loan if you're rich like say, me. But Kramer, but Kramer, if he did what you said, which seems to me from the way cut you the just explained yourself, cut, to, it, to, cut the rate. Open the discount window. Okay, cut the rate. We'll leave the pressure. Week and cuts rate. We'll leave the pressure. You're going to have. That's going to cause Armageddon. No, we have Armageddon. I wouldn't try to cause it. We get, we have Armageddon in the fixed income markets. We have Armageddon. No, but that's not. We what they have say. Armageddon. They say even when you when I've talked to a couple if banks, they, CEOs, the they don't rate. say it's Armageddon. Well, who they I'm, say it's repricing. They're very firm about oh, that. Oh, great. Now. Okay, well let them be calm and then have them call me on the way home like they do every night and tell me, Kramer, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to help us? Are you going to help us? Are you going to stand on the sideline like everybody else and say that it's fine? Will somebody come on TV and tell the truth about how bad it but is? A lot of people say, these same people say, it's not Ben Bernanke and the rate that matters. The bond market That's now wrong. is completely it is the separate rate. from It's rate. entirely the The bond rate. market is trading no, separately it's entirely the rate. rate. We, look, we, we'll spend billions in Iraq to build homes. We are going to have thousands of people. We have thousands of people losing yes. their homes right now. 14 million people took a mortgage in the last three years. Seven million of them took teaser rates or took piggyback rates. Mm -hmm. They will lose their homes. This is crazy. Yes. I am sorry to be upset about it, but you have to understand what they're saying to me off the record before I come in here every night and every day. And what I hear from these blowhard managers who act like, call someone for heaven's sake. Go call someone. I worked at fixed income at Goldman Sachs. This is not the time to be complacent. Now, those of us who aren't financial advisors or market wizards might have found the foregoing clip a bunch of gobbledygook. Listeners to the Corbett Report will remember from Episode 5 of the Corbett Report that the Federal Reserve, which Mr. Kramer refers to in that clip, is in fact a privately owned central bank which determines the prime lending rates for financial institutions in the United States. That's right, it is a privately owned central bank which is no more federal than Federal Express. And again, for that information, please go to Episode 5 of the Corbett Report and find out more about the Federal Reserve. But what is the discount window and what does it mean to open it? What is the subprime mortgage market and what does this collapse mean? Well, those of us who were not well-versed in these issues were given a, excuse the pun, crash course in the subprime mortgage market and very quickly became familiar with the story. On August 5, 2007, the Financial Times of London reported that the Bear Stearns co-president had resigned as a result of the collapse of two mortgage hedge funds, which had precipitated a broader subprime mortgage market collapse. This was followed very quickly by a collapse of U.S. stock markets, with the Dow Jones falling 2.8% on August 9, 2007. The collapse continued the next day, starting to spread to world markets. We have this report from BBC News, World Shares Fall on Credit Fears from the 10th of August 2007, which reported that the Nikkei, the main Japanese index, had fallen 2.4% on fears of a global credit crunch. Realizing that the bursting of the subprime mortgage bubble was the precipitatory event of a world stock crash, Central banks around the world started to pump liquidity into the global financial system. On August 10, 2007, Financial Times Online ran this article, Central Banks Inject $120 Billion of Liquidity. And it reads in part, quote, Central banks around the world intervened to the tune of $120 billion on Friday to shore up confidence in the global financial system as concerns about a crunch in the credit market spread. The Federal Reserve became the latest central bank to make extra liquidity available to the financial institutions in the repurchase market. 
In a statement on Friday morning, the Federal Reserve said it was providing liquidity to facilitate the orderly functioning of financial markets and offered to provide reserves as necessary to promote a federal funds rate close to its target rate of 5.25%. End quote. The article goes on to note that the European Central Bank was leading the way by pumping in over 61 billion euros into the European financial markets, an extreme injection of liquidity into the market in a desperate attempt to shore up falling stock prices. This was followed a few days later on August 17th with this article from Yahoo Asia. Bank of Japan injects 1.2 trillion yen into banking system. As noted earlier, the Nikkei stock exchange was badly hurt by this popping of the subprime mortgage bubble as scared investors scurried to unwind the Japanese yen carry trade, which we'll be getting into later. And despite the Bank of Japan's best efforts to inject such liquidity into the banking system, the Nikkei still fell 5% on the 17th of August. At that point, it was quite obvious there was a major international crisis going on, which could be the unwinding of the global financial order. And then magically, on August 17, 2007, everything cleared up. We have this report from FinancialTimes.com. Fed brings relief to the markets. Quote, the U.S. Federal Reserve took radical steps to combat financial market contagion on Friday, making direct loans available to cash-strapped banks on more favorable terms and signaling it would cut its main interest rate if necessary. The Fed cut its so-called discount rate, the rate at which banks can borrow directly from the central bank against a wide range of collateral, including subprime mortgages, from 6.25% to 5.75%. That is only 50 basis points above its main interest rate, the federal funds rate. End quote. Again, this sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, but magically, the stock market started to recover. And since then, we've been treated to a lot of good news about the recovery of the stock market. With a lot of spin going on that this was a blip, which the Federal Reserve was able to iron out by cutting the discount rate. This goes back to what Mr. Kramer was saying in that clip where he was urging the Federal Reserve to cut the discount rate and open the discount window. But what does that actually mean? For some more calm and reasoned analysis, we turn to PBC, PBS NewsHour, which provided some insight into the discount window on August 17, 2007. Let's turn to the audio clip from that program. Well, Stephen Perlstein, why don't you tell us first what is the discount rate and why would the Fed use it as a lever now? Well, the Fed has basically two levers it uses to get money into the financial system. The one that we hear most often is changing the federal funds rate, which is a rate that um, banks lend money to each other uh, overnight. And the Fed, they have a marketplace where they go and they set the price for that. And the Fed intervenes in that market and it tries by buying or selling, by offering loans or by taking loans back, they try to manipulate that price. Today, however, they used a less uh, frequent uh, tool, which is the discount window. The discount window is open to banks and thrifts and a few other financial institutions that can come to the Fed and borrow money anytime they want. Usually it's overnight money, and the thing about the discount window is that it costs more than the money they might get from the federal funds uh, overnight uh, window, and it's usually a percentage point higher. The Federal Reserve today lowered that by half a percentage point and basically invited banks to come and use it because there's a stigma 
uh, associated in some circles with using that. It tells people you're in trouble. The Fed said, look, we understand that cash is tight, that you may need some temporary money, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to lower the interest rate a half a percentage point. We're going to make these, rather than overnight loans, we're going to make them up to 30-day loans, and then you can renew them at your own request so that the money can be counted upon. And they basically reminded them that they would take as collateral all sorts of different securities, including mortgages. So that means people who are uh, banks that are holding mortgages, they can't sell them because the mortgage market is frozen. They can at least use them as collateral to make to get other loans so that they can lend out and keep credit moving through the financial system. Now, looking forward, Stephen Perlstein, the Fed in its statement also said it was prepared, I'll quote here, prepared to act as needed to mitigate the adverse effects on the economy. Now, does that suggest more to come? Well, it suggests that they're willing to uh, a, provide liquidity to uh, provide the grease for the financial system to protect those innocent people uh, uh, that Nick just mentioned. But they will have to consider whether all of this credit and financial market problem is, cause, is going to cause such problems for the economy that they need to do what they normally do, which is worry about a recession, and if they see it coming, lower interest rates. They, they had Mr. Poole yesterday uh, indicated, look, we're not going to do anything until we see actual evidence uh, of a downturn. And what the rest of the committee basically said uh, was, well, we're, when we see the precursors of a downturn, we are going to take action. We're not going to wait to see that the GDP numbers go down or that the retail sales numbers go, uh, go through the floor before we act. And so they've probably pushed up a timetable because the economic risk has increased, not just in the United States, but around the world. Well, there you go. That puts my mind at ease. So as we've learned so far, the privately owned Federal Reserve saw the beginnings of an economic downturn and pulled Plan B out of their bag of tricks of market manipulation in order to bring the markets back under control and restore faith in the global credit system. Well, that sounds good to me. And accordingly, we've seen many stories in recent days in the controlled corporate media about how the world stock markets are going back up and regaining their former value. There's only one problem with this picture. It doesn't change the underlying economic fact that we are experiencing one of the greatest catastrophes in the global financial system in the last 30 to 40 years. There are signs, of course, that there are deeper problems in the economic order. With this Financial Times report from August 22nd, IMF warns of risk to global growth, or we have an ABC report from a few days ago entitled Mortgage Job Losses Surpass 40,000, and we even had just two days ago this report from the Associated Press, four major banks borrow from Fed, which reported that Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wachovia Corp., four of the largest banks in the United States, each borrowed $500 million from the Federal Reserve's discount window, thus breaking the psychological barrier that any bank that borrows from the discount window is in trouble. This is obviously a move designed to help the smaller banks, which will need to borrow from the discount window, and to avoid having a run on the bank happen when they go to the discount window with worried investors and worried customers seeking to recover their savings, leading to a run on the banks. It is leaking out bit by bit. The overall economic indicator is that there is something severely wrong in the global markets these days. But perhaps this story that flies pretty much under the radar is one of the most telling indicators of what's really going on. 
It's from Bloomberg.com from today, August 24th, 2007, under the innocuous title, Dollar Set for Weekly Loss Versus Euro on New Home Sales Report. And this, in fact, is probably the main story, which is really not being picked up by much of the mainstream media at this point. Again, for the full analysis, we have to turn to a source outside the controlled corporate media. And yes, I do include PBS with its foundation funding in that category. And we turn to a program entitled Farther Down the Rabbit Hole. You can visit their website at rabbitholecentral.tv, although I wouldn't recommend it for anything other than their interviews, or should I say really half-hour monologues, by Webster Tarpley. Webster Tarpley is a man that I've mentioned before on the Corbett Report, and again commend him to you as the premier rogue academic researcher who is breaking the boundaries imposed upon us by the controlled corporate media and government shills. He is a researcher of incomparable quality, and I recommend any of his books, articles, or speeches to you. But I'll be playing a clip from an interview that Paula Gloria conducted with him just a few days ago regarding hyperinflation and the dollar crash. We'll be playing a clip from this interview, which was really a monologue by Mr. Tarpley about the hyperinflation and what that will mean for the average citizen. And during this interview, Mr. Tarpley is referring to a PowerPoint presentation, which is available in the video version of the interview, available at the Rabbit Hole website. And I'd urge you to check out that video, as the accompanying slides are helpful for visualizing some of Mr. Tarpley's presentation. However, I think you'll get the gist of what might be on those slides from the audio, and I don't think it will present a significant problem. So let's turn to that clip from the Further Down the Rabbit Hole program with Webster Tarkley talking about hyperinflation and helicopter Ben. Okay. There's the Federal Reserve Bank in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've had two interventions by the, the Fed on Friday, August 10th. Uh, there was a danger of a, of a panic crash of the Dow down 1,000 to 2,000 points. Helicopter Ben Bernanke, we'll see who he is in a minute, uh, injected about $40 billion into the banking system in a desperate attempt to shore it up and avoid panic. And then on the following Friday, he actually lowered the discount rate, the rate at which uh, troubled banks borrow from the Federal Reserve, from six and a quarter to, um, to five and three quarters. And this is all an attempt to bail out the intrinsically bankrupt institutions of Wall Street, pushing ahead. Okay, that's two two guys. Yeah, that's uh, that's a Chris Alan Greenspan on the left, the former head of the Federal Reserve. He was called Bubbles Greenspan because he brought us the derivative bubble, he brought us the Y2K and dot com bubble, and then he brought us a housing bubble. And the problem that we have, one of the starting points of the current phase of dollar collapse, is that the uh, subprime mortgages, the cheap mortgages to people of modest means have gone into crisis. Now, when I say Helicopter Ben, that's the guy on the right. That's Helicopter Ben Bernanke. And how did he get his name? He once boasted that if a, if a uh, depression started, that he could stop the depression by getting into a helicopter with bales of money and throwing it onto people's uh, lawns. And, of course, the lawns he's thinking of are the lawns of Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, uh, Bear Stearns, and the other troubled, if not bankrupt, New York City investment bank. So this is Helicopter Ben. It's an action figure. You can drop money out of a helicopter, too. And, of course, you read the little proviso in the lower right-hand corner. 
this really cannot stop a recession or a depression. Uh, this does show is that helicopter Ben has this hyperinflationary overtone, and we'll get into hyperinflation in a second. The heart of the crisis is the banking system and the U.S. dollar, and there's the battered, scorned, reviled U.S. greenback. Everybody in the world wants to get out of the dollar because there are some, what, $4 trillion, maybe $5 trillion sloshing around in the world. China has a trillion. Japan has a trillion. Saudi Arabia has a trillion. Russia has huge reserves. Everybody's holding these dollars. The problem is, what can you do with them? How can you turn them in? What can you buy with them? The very heart of the current crisis is the death agony of the dollar, and that, of course, is a direct threat to the U.S.-British imperialist system. On the next slide, there you see the dollar-euro. The one on the right is a euro, maybe not the clearest, but the dollar has been extremely weak against the euro. It's been down to $1.40 to buy a euro. A couple of years ago, you could buy a euro for about 81 cents, so that is grave weakness. The next one, the yen. This is even more critical. The Japanese yen happens to be the place where a lot of these banks, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman, Bayer, Lehman, Morgan Stanley, all the rest of them, the Japanese had a 0% interest policy for quite a few years, and uh, that was called the yen carry trade. You could buy free money. You could essentially borrow money at 0% interest in Japan and then take it and speculate anywhere you wanted to in the world. The rest of us were paying 17% on our credit cards, but if you were a bank, you could go to Japan and borrow for zero uh, percent interest. Now, that is coming to an end, and there are huge debts that have got to be paid back into the yen. Those yen, those loans were taken out when the yen was very low, very cheap, but now it's, it's, uh, it's coming back, and the yen is getting stronger. So when they pay them back, they have to pay back more, and that's going to drive even more of these hedge funds into bankruptcy. The next. Now, there's a, there's a view of the decline of the U.S. dollar through about the beginning of 2007, and you can see the trend lines. This is a secular bear market, a long-term dollar decline, and this is a direct threat to U.S.-British world domination. And indeed, it would have been much worse, except they're forcing a lot of countries around the world to buy and hold U.S. Treasury paper practically at gunpoint. Uh, if you try to dump the dollar, if you try to eliminate the dollar for oil transactions, you will be declared a terrorist. And that's happened to Chavez of Venezuela. Putin is not far behind. Iran. Everybody who can is trying to get out of the dollar and into something else, anything else, because the dollar is a wasting asset. It goes down, down, down. Who would want to hold this? Nobody in his right mind. Going on to the next, a little bit of historical background. People are very focused on the stock market crash of 1929, which was a terrible thing, as we see here. Uh, and it did... Uh, helped to bring on the Great Depression, but it was not the main event. And this is something that uh, economics professors have gotten rather confused over the years. The stock market crash cannot be the main thing because uh, at a deeper level we've got the bond market is more important, the banking system is more important, and the currency is more important than simply the price of stocks. Now, you want to think about something really serious. The next slide shows you a $5 trillion Mark note from Germany. I know it says fünf Billionen, but billion in German is a thousand billion, as you can see there. Look in the lower right-hand corner. It says five thousand milliarden, milliards, billion. So this is a five trillion mark note, 
And this comes from what is called hyperinflation. Imagine a situation where you needed a $5 trillion note to go shopping. That would be hyperinflation. I hope everybody agrees. In other words, where the value of the money goes down to practically nothing. The next slide. This shows what happened in Weimar, Germany, when they, uh, they had so many of the older currency that was practically worthless that it was better to shred it. This is basically taking the finance capitalists to the shredder. Unfortunately, the entire German nation went with them. The uh, hyperinflation of 1923 that we see here is a key factor in the rise to power of Hitler. It makes people in Germany ready for Hitler a couple of years later on. And the next one, this is a scene in Germany, 1923, where it's cheaper to burn money than it is to buy coal because there's so much paper money floating around. So there's an idea of what hyperinflation looked like. And again, in Germany, it was about one trillion uh, to one uh, in terms of the hyperinflation. Now, in the middle of the current crisis, as we see in the next one, that fortress-like building that you see here is the Bank of England, the old lady of Threadneedle Street. Uh, they are an active factor in making the crisis work worse today. They seem to have an idea that the British pound can come out of this as the dominant world currency. As the dollar goes down, the British are protecting themselves. They're not going down the line for the dollar, to be sure. The really big crisis in the 1930s came in 1931 when these guys defaulted. They stopped payment on gold September 1931. That destroyed the only world monetary system that there was, and that is the real reason why the depression of the 1930s was so much worse and so much long-lasting, more long-lasting than any other depression. That, of course, leads to the breadline. The breadline would be the contraction. Uh, contractions happen when uh, people are thrown out of work, factories close, production dives, things become very scarce, very expensive, uh, and that, I think, is what you see here. There's always been a question ho hanging over the United States, is this again in our future? And it's hard to know if it's close, but it's certainly much closer than it was about a month ago, thanks to what the finance oligarchs have done in the last month. Now, as we go to the next slide, maybe this allows us to judge Bernanke's plan to end a depression by throwing dollar bills out of helicopters. Uh, it's a bad joke, but it can lead, it, it will not, never lead to financial prosperity or financial recovery, but it can lead to hyperinflation. It can lead to some of those scenes from Weimar, Germany that we saw. And of course, if that made Germany ready for a dictatorship, we can imagine what that would look like here with Mad Dog Bush and Cheney and the rest of them. Well, that's certainly a valuable piece of the puzzle. It turns out that all of this is a scam, and here's how the scam operates. The financial elite use their whores in the corporate-controlled media to convince you, the mark, that the stock market is actually the bellwether of the economy. If the stock market is going up, the economy is going up. If the stock market is going down, the economy is going down. And of course, as we've seen, they have their hands on the levers of power with their ability to raise or lower the markets by pumping in billions of dollars of liquidity into the market or extracting billions of dollars of liquidity from the market. This power is used to either balloon or shrink the economy, so-called, which is actually just the stock market. Real economic indicators, like the ability to secure a mortgage or unemployment rates or retail sales, are ignored, while everyone is focused on the 
ballooning stock market believing the economy is going up. What this system obscures is the fact that the stock markets are going up because billions and billions and billions of dollars of liquidity are being pumped into those markets artificially. As we've seen, the Fed has the ability to create money out of nothing and uses that to its full advantage to manipulate the stock markets. Of course, the expected result of pumping all of this money into the system is inflation. And perhaps even more worryingly than the billions of dollars that were emergency pumped in in the last few weeks, we have Bubbles Greenspan, whom Webster Tarpley mentioned in his presentation, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, who in the six years prior to his resignation doubled the money supply of the United States. When helicopter Ben Bernanke took over as chairman of the Federal Reserve, he made the M3 money supply secret, vowing to double the money supply again, this time in two years. Pumping so much money into the United States economy at one time has the expected result of the stock markets ballooning wildly, as we've seen in the last several years. After the burst of the dot-com bubble, the Dow Jones recovered completely and then some, reaching all-time record highs, despite the fact that real economic indicators shows that there's no reason for the economy to be performing so well. Of course, when we realize that the stock market is not an indicator of the strength of the economy, we realize the scam. The expected result of all of this money going into the financial system is inflation, inflation to a massive degree. And the moment that the country is holding trillions of U.S. dollars in foreign reserves like China, Japan, and Russia think they can get away with it, they will, of course, dump the U.S. dollar, causing it to crash. Because, as Webster Tarpley pointed out, who wants to hold the U.S. dollar at a time when inflation is making it less and less and less valuable? The U.S. dollar is only going down and has gone down to a disturbing degree against other currencies like the euro in the last several years. So when foreign governments realize that it's no longer valuable to hold U.S. dollars in reserves, and as soon as they have an opportunity, they will, of course, dump the dollar and causing the hyperinflation that Webster Tarpley talked about earlier. If this is the expected result of what's going on in the financial system right now, and the financial elite have their hands on the levers of power and are able to manipulate the markets by pumping in or taking out liquidity, why are they doing this? Why are they consciously engineering a collapse of the U.S. dollar? Enter the CFR. The CFR is the Council on Foreign Relations, a powerful body whose membership includes some of the most powerful and recognizable names in the United States, including prominent politicians, businessmen, and media shills. For one notable example, you might turn to the Vice President of the United States, Dick Cheney, who at a recent CFR conference admitted that he was an ex-director of the CFR, and then goes on to admit that he kept that fact secret from his constituents in Wyoming when he was campaigning, a remark that draws a disgusting laughter from the scum attending the meeting, who are seeking to destroy the United States, Canada, and Mexico as we know it in the SPP, or the North American Union. Yes, the CFR are one of the key players in the SPP, as evidenced by their member Robert Pastor, who is responsible for the Building a North American Community document, which is often referred to as one of the blueprints for the SPP process. How could it benefit the CFR to collapse the U.S. dollar? Well, you might want to look at a Foreign Affairs article from May-June 2007, Foreign Affairs being a periodical published by the Council on Foreign Relations. 
In May-June 2007, they published an article entitled The End of National Currency by Ben Steele, which argues for the creation of new multinational currencies. The summary of that article goes as follows, quote, Global financial instability has sparked a surge in monetary nationalism, the idea that countries must make and control their own currencies. But globalization and monetary nationalism are a dangerous combination, a cause of financial crises and geopolitical tension. The world needs to abandon unwanted currencies, replacing them with dollars, euros, and multinational currencies as yet unborn. End quote. The CFR is pushing the creation of a North American currency, which will be known as the Amero. If you happen to think this is delusional or a conspiracy theory, well, let's turn to a clip. Here's a clip from CNBC from April 2007, which featured a report about the Amero. Let's listen to the clip. Uh, we're coming into a cyclical bottom for gold, and it rises going into December, January, so that might be the reverse of the dollar fall. Um, apart from that, I think one thing people who are dollar-based need to focus on is the Amero. That's the one thing that nobody's talking about that I think is going to have a big impact on, uh, on everybody's life in Canada, the U.S., and uh, Mexico. If you Google it, you'll find out all about it. Well, you could tell us a little bit more right now. You always hear it on CNBC. <laughs> the Amero is the proposed new currency for the North American community, which is being uh, developed right now between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico to make a borderless community, much like the EU, and uh, the dollar, Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar, and the Mexican peso replaced by the Amero. You, um, you really think that will get any, any leeway? Uh, you may want to visit a couple of websites and see how far along it is. The Canadians are pretty upset about it, whereas the Americans, apart from the Texans, um, are the only people who know anything about it. The, the rest of the public's really um, sort of with their head in the sand on this one. Uh, okay, interesting. I mean, we've already got, we've already got NAFTA, the free trade zone, isn't it? I mean, does, is, that, is that working? Is that doing enough? Well, I'll tell you what, it's created a lot of illegal immigrants come across the border. Um, I don't know. You get the pros and cons on this thing. NAFTA, for some people, is a very good thing. For other people, it's been a disaster. And uh, I think this is one way that the politicians are trying to work themselves out of what potentially could be a disastrous situation going forward. It's worth taking a moment to dissect that clip because it is a masterful piece of spin and propaganda verging on Orwellian doublethink of the first order. The commentator starts by suggesting that the fall of the dollar is actually a cyclical phenomenon and will be recovering soon, but then goes on to say that it doesn't matter that the, even if the dollar does collapse because there will be a new phenomenon on the market, uh, the Amero, which will be taking over the national currencies as we know them, including the U.S. dollar, the Canadian dollar, and the Mexican peso. The media shill interviewing him sounds surprised by this development, and the commentator urges the interviewer to check out the websites of various organizations to see how far along the progress has been made. Then he goes on to point out that the only people that are aware of this process are the people, the Canadians and the Texans, who are protesting the creation of the Amero thus indicating that the politically informed citizens want nothing to do with this, which, of course, doesn't seem to matter to him or face him at all because he thinks it's a good process that's moving ahead. The interviewer shill brings up the NAFTA agreement, which the commentator admits was a disaster for some, but the only way to recover from this disaster or move forward is for the leaders, and note the use of the term leaders, to implement even a further integration in a North American community signified by a single currency. 
absolutely unbelievable levels of doublethink going on there. And just further indication that we are slipping further and further towards the North American Union. It doesn't even matter what other things the SPP is up to. Just the creation of a single currency alone will ensure the creation of a North American Union in the same way that the euro brought about the real creation of the European Union, or at least brought it out into the open. Although, of course, this year they celebrated their 50th anniversary with the 1957 Treaty of Rome, suddenly signifying the start of the European Union in the eyes of the EU globalists. Of course, the process is controlled at the very top, as we've seen, by those with their hands on the levers of power, the private bankers who are working at the behest of the multinational corporation leaders and the bought-and-paid-for corrupt politicians to bring about a North American Union and a single currency, all the while impressing us with the theatrics of an up-and-down escalator ride of stock markets and economy. The only way to stop them from engineering this dollar crash, which will bring about their much-vaunted and much-sought-after single multinational currency, is to understand how this process is being engineered. Once we realize that it is them creating the problems and then coming along with their phony solutions, which will only further exacerbate the problems, like NAFTA being resurrected by further integration in the SPP, we'll know who to blame when the hyperinflation does occur. An informed public is a public that cannot be easily manipulated and will not be railroaded into a North American Union which will undermine our democratic institutions. Keep protesting these undemocratic processes that seek to undermine our most basic rights and freedoms, like those protesters at Montebello last week. And you might note that as I predicted last week, the very people who were inciting violence at those protests turned out to be undercover police agents. For more on that, please go to my website, www.corbettreport.com. There, under the documentation, you'll be able to find all of the documents that I cited in today's episode, including that YouTube clip. Please get this information out. We are living in an extremely important time at the moment, and as Webster Tarpley indicated, the death agony of the U.S. dollar may be the precipitating event for the dictatorship in the United States, which is being prepared for with NSPD-51, also known as PDD-51, which grants President Bush the power to declare a national emergency and then take over the government, literally becoming a dictator, removing Congress from the continuity of government for the first time in history. They are setting the table for martial law, and you have to wonder why they're getting so prepared for this phenomenon of the people rising against them. Keep questioning, keep getting informed, and ask yourself who's really behind these processes that we see unfolding before us. That's it for today. I am your host, James Corbett. Join me again next week for another edition of The Corbett Report. Today.